you've got your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Proverbs. Almost right in the middle of the Bible, Proverbs chapter 3. I uh, was reading about um, this holiday and Fourth of July travel and all of that, and experts are excited. I don't know how they figure this kind of stuff out. They don't call my house and ask me or poll me, but they figured out that 35 million Americans will be traveling more than 50 miles from home this weekend. Apparently, uh, many of those millions are from our congregation uh, this morning, but they'll be traveling, and 32 million of those will be by car. And this is the thing that I am pretty sure about for those people that are traveling this weekend. One is they know where they're trying to get to. They know their destination. And the second thing, and this may not be true of everyone, but of most of them, not only do they know their destination, they know how to get there. If they don't, what they generally do, what you generally do, what I generally do, is we sit down and we map it out. We plan it out. We figure it out. We go through all of the possible ways that we might get from where we are to where we're going. I was thinking this week as we were thinking about this series of destinations, wouldn't it be great if in life we can map out our life just like we map out a trip? And we were able to say, this is where I want to get to, and here is how I'm going to get there. It'd be great to say, when I am 65 years old, I want to be here. When I am 90 years old, I want to be here. And to get there, I'm going to do this at 20, this at 25, this at 38, and just so on. I read this week about um, a pastor who is aging and nearing retirement, and they asked him about retirement. And he said, my goal in life has always been to be preaching a sermon about Jesus Christ and to finish the sermon, die in the pulpit. I don't know why he added this. Hit my head on the pulpit and be gone. And I thought, well, you know, there are other ways we might think about ending this destination thing. But the point is, it'd be interesting if we could say, this is where I want to get to. Now, the truth is, all of us know, or most of us know, that life does not work that way. Now, that's not to say that there aren't people who have made out life plans, right? That have said, we're going to do this, 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 and this. It's just that our plans are rarely the things that come to pass like we think they ought to. We rarely sit down and say, in ten years, I want to see this, 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 and this accomplished, and it just falls in line. I was thinking about that this week and how it would be nice if we could somehow have a guidebook about how to make decisions in life. Because the truth is, we started this series a couple of weeks ago called Destinations, and what we're talking about is how do we get to where God intends for us to be in life. Now, we're in the middle of the summer, middle of the year. You know that? My brother's 40th birthday was on Friday, and I know that his birthday is the middle day of the year. And so July 2nd is the middle day. We're halfway through the year. We're now closer to 2011 than we were to the beginning of 2010. And so it's a good time to sit and kind of think about things. And we're also in the middle of summer, which means our our youth and our children have not been in school for a few weeks. Um, And so I thought today would be good if we had a pop quiz. Everybody all right with that? Because I don't want people to get out of practice. I don't, kids, I want you to get out of practice. you got to be raring to go. And so, how many of you were here two weeks ago? Now, now, none of you are going to raise your hand. Now, none of us. 
How many of you were here two weeks ago when we started this series? All right? That week, and I'm going to ask Steve, don't put this up yet. I'll, we'll, we'll move through in a minute. I gave one statement that was three words long, right? So we're going to say that statement together, all right? Direction determines destination. And we started that a couple of weeks ago, and the point of that is that where we're headed in life is where we will end up. Not where we want to, not where we intend to, not what we decide in our mind ought to happen, but our direction determines our destination. How many of you were here last week? All right? We memorized a verse together, right? This means yes. Yes, we did. We were here. Yes. We memorized a verse together, and it was out of Proverbs. And so we're going to say that verse together. I'll help you along. You fill in the words. I know you could say it all you know, by yourself, but we'll, we'll help you, all right? It starts out, it says, The prudent see danger and take refuge. The simple keep going and suffer for it, right? And so last week we talked about that it's not always so simple. That's where the destination is, that's where my path is, that there are obstacles we have to navigate. Well, today we're going to continue in that. And so here's the first week. We'll put it up just to remind you. Direction determines destination. Here's the second week. It's the verse from Proverbs 22. The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and suffer for it. So I was thinking, if those two are true, wouldn't it be great if they would collect everybody's decisions in life and give us the outcomes of those decisions? I mean, wouldn't it be great to be able to say, if I make this decision, this will be the outcome? Because the truth is, usually we make actions and the outcomes don't come until later. For instance, some of us in this room are still in school, and we might study for a test on Wednesday, but we don't see the results until we take the test, maybe on Thursday, maybe later. But sometimes our decisions and the results are much later. The paths we choose in high school impact our destinations in college, and our choice of college determines who we meet and job opportunities we get. And so the things that we do in high school can really affect our lives when we're 30, 40 years old. The past we choose as a single person impacts how we live in marriage. The financial decisions we choose in our 30s impact how we live in our 50s. And I thought, wouldn't it be good if we just had a guidebook that that showed us how to make those decisions? And then I realized... The truth is, even if we had that, most of us wouldn't follow it. Now, here's the reason. How many of you have ever been to the doctor, and he has told you to change some things in your life, to change how you eat? Let me see your hands. Change what you're doing, all right? And how many of you have followed it exactly? No, I don't see any hands, all right? We make decisions in life, and we know the ramifications, but we keep going anyway. And so the truth is, information will not help us. And here's the statement I want you to get this week, all right? So you can write it down so if we have a pop quiz next week or something. Here's the statement I want you to get this week. It is simply this. We do not need more information. We need God. We don't need more information. We need God. We are in the information age. I don't know whether you realize this or not, but... Information is doubling in our society at an astounding rate. Astounding rate. It used to take 
a thousand years for the information in the world to double. Then it took about 400 years. And in the last 10 years, information has doubled three times. Information's everywhere. We don't need more information. We need God. You've been following the oil spill, the BP debacle, whatever's going on down there. Part of what is is rising the emotion in that is all of the information we have, right? One of the things they've said that is just fascinating to me is there's that webcam, you know what I'm talking about, that's focused on the spill coming out in the ocean. Nah, you know, there. People will sit for hours and watch that. Just getting mad about it. It's not information doesn't help you always. It's what you do with it and whether or not you're trusting in the Lord. So here's what we're talking about this morning in Proverbs 3. How do we get to where God intends for us to be? And the simple answer to that is that we don't gather more information. We simply trust in the Lord. Chapter 3, verse 1. We're going to focus on 5 and 6, two of the most familiar verses in all of Scripture, but I want us to look first at the first few verses. It says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. This is really kind of a, a further description, a new introduction to what he's about to say. And he says, listen, all this stuff I'm about to say is important. Write it down. Keep it. Write it where you can see it. Understand it. Put it in your heart. Make sure it's a part of your life. Verse 5, the first real commands he gives after that. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tells us basically that if you want to end up in life wherever God wants you to end up, you must learn to trust Him completely. Trust Him completely. Now, it starts telling us that, doesn't it? It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. When you and I think of heart, what we think of is love, emotion. But when they were writing in this day and time, what they thought of was not love or emotion. It was your mind. It was your will. It was your desire to do things. And it says, you must trust in the Lord with everything you are. It says, trust in the Lord with part of your heart. Is that what it says? Some of your heart. Is that what it says? All, right? Trust the Lord with all your heart. We've talked about this before. The word all means all. And so it means that you give over to God everything you have. Now that sounds easy, but it's hard. I've been thinking about the word trust this week. And the word trust is a very simple concept, but it's very hard to put into practice. Because the word trust means to completely Give yourself to something. Think about in a relationship. What does it mean if you trust someone? It means that you are putting yourself on the line, your stability, your emotional well-being, you're putting everything on the line in faith that this person 
is who they say they are and will do what they say they will do. Right? If you're a spouse uh, and you have your person, you have a spouse, um, you trust your spouse. Or if you don't, the marriage isn't going to be very productive, but you trust them. And that means that you believe the best about them, that they're going to do what they say they're going to do, that they're going to take care of you, they're going to protect you, they're going to fulfill their vows. And you literally put your emotional and physical well-being in their hands. And what God is saying to us is that if you are going to get where you need to be in life, you have to put everything you have with me. Now, just in case we missed that point, that God is saying, I want you to trust me, I want you to lean on me, he gives us a second part of that verse, right? That says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Lean not on your own ability. Now, let's talk for a minute about who wrote this proverb. Who wrote this proverb? Solomon, right? Solomon is the wisest man to ever live. I didn't say that. The Bible says that. Solomon wrote three books in the Bible. First of all, he wrote most of Proverbs, right? What else did he write? Ecclesiastes, right? Ecclesiastes. Some pastor has said Ecclesiastes is a book that you don't read until you're at least 40. Because if you read it before you're 40, you'll think he's a cranky old man. If you read it after 40, you'll think he's exactly right, all right? So he wrote Ecclesiastes, he wrote Proverbs, and then he wrote Song of Solomon, a book you should not read until you're married, all right? And it's also a book to read if you think the Bible is boring, okay? And so he wrote three books. Now, here's the amazing thing about Solomon, the wisest man in the history of the world. He wrote these Proverbs, and if you read them, they sound just as fresh today as they did thousands of years ago when he wrote them. That is what wisdom is. I mean, there's some stuff that we read that people wrote 20 years ago. We go, well, that doesn't make any sense today. But Solomon's words make just as much sense today as they did back then. And so Solomon, this is an interesting thing, because remember uh, how he got to be the wisest person in the world? He asked God for it, right? God said, we talked about this a few weeks ago in a sermon, what do you want? You can have anything you want. I can destroy your enemies for you, which is kind of a crazy request. You know, you think about waking up your wife in the middle of the night, hey, Can we make a list of my enemies real quick? God's going to get rid of those. Destroy your enemies. I can give you a bunch of wealth. I can get you a bunch of fame. I can give you a huge house. What do you want? And he says, I want wisdom. So God gives it to him. And so if Solomon is the wisest person in the history of the world, and his advice to this young man is, do not lean on your own wisdom. Think about this. The wisest person in the history of the world did not want to lean on his own wisdom. Now, if he's not going to lean on it, why should we lean on ours? The Bible has this really encouraging verse for all of us that think we're pretty smart. Um, There is a way that seems right in the heart of man, and in the end it leads to destruction. That's encouraging, isn't it? Whatever you think is the right course outside of God, it is the wrong course. And so he says, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. The idea literally is don't prop yourself up on what you think is right, on what you think is the correct thing. 
Uh, I was reading some uh, studies about the culture in which we live, the society in which we live, and they said that they are starting to call our society the most opinionated culture in the history of the world. Everybody has opinions. You turn on any television show, and rarely do you get objective news from anywhere anymore. You get people's opinions about the news. Everybody's got a suggestion about how to fix this oil leak. Everybody's got a suggestion about how to run the country. Everybody's got a suggestion about how to live their lives and your lives and anybody else's lives that will listen. We've all got our opinions. Proverbs says over and over again that our opinions don't matter. We don't lean on our own understanding. We trust in the Lord. When I was a, a pretty new pastor, I'd only been around for six months, I got invited to be at a conference uh, where a guy was going to speak named Stephen Olford. Now, many of you in this room may not know Stephen Olford. Some of you may. He, he is no longer living. And when I saw him, he was only going to be living for about another year. Many considered him to be one of the best preachers of the 20th century. And I got there and got to hear one of his last sermons. And I don't know if he was in a nostalgic mood, but he preached partly on Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And he told me, or he told us, there were only about 12 of us in the room when he, he spoke to us. He said, uh, this verse hits home to me because in my life I've had to learn to lean on the Lord. And he told us this story about that he grew up in a missionary station, that he was saved at a young age, but that he had seen all the missionaries around him almost starve to death one day. And he told God, I don't care what you want me to do. I'm going to do what I want to do because I want to make money. So he became an engineer, and his job was to build motorcycles. And he ended up being one of the top motorcycle engine developers in the world. In fact, he got to the point where he could get the carburetor to work in a way. Now, this is the kind of stuff I don't understand at all, but he did. To where he could make the motorcycle go faster than anybody else around him. And so he was in Europe at this time. He grew up in Africa. He was in Europe, and he started racing his motorcycles and winning almost every race he was in. And he said that it was during one of those races when he hit a wrong spot, he did something wrong, and he flew off the bike, ended up in a wreck, ended up in the hospital. The wreck, the wreck injuries weren't that bad, but in the hospital, he developed double pneumonia. He had pneumonia in both lungs. He said, I was laying in bed, thinking about my life, and the doctor came in and said, you've got two weeks to live. See, back then, they didn't have good medicine for pneumonia. It was just, you waited it out. So you got two weeks to live. His mother came to visit him. And his mother had been living around him, had come up to visit him some, and had seen him and had been there when the accident had happened. And she brought in for him a letter his dad had sent from him from Africa three months earlier. Just got to where he was, took it into his room, handed it to him in the hospital. He said he opened it up. He said there was not much in it at all. There was nothing about the safaris he'd been on. There was nothing about the animals around, nothing about the weather, none of that small talk. He said all that happened was there was a little note, just a, hi, how are you doing? Hope things well. His dad wrote this three months before his accident, and he wrote this. My son, this is of most importance. Only one life shall soon be passed. Only what's done for Jesus will last. Stephen Olford said he crawled off his bed. He prayed right there and said, Lord, I'm going to trust you with my life. A little bit later, he was recovering still, and a missionary came to see him. 
And he said, uh, the missionary started asking about all this stuff. And he said, yeah. And he gave him all the details. And he said, I'm praying through, trying to figure out what God wants me to do. And the missionary said, just the real question, are you prepared to trust him completely? And Stephen Olford said that right there and then, the Lord gave him this phrase. He said, I'm prepared to go anywhere at any time at any cost. When it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, what it means is you say to him, I'm willing to go anywhere at any time at any cost. Trust him completely. You see, the reason that all that matters is because trust requires submission before we get our direction. I'm going to tell you a statement I think is true from Scripture. That God is not interested in the least of telling you where you're going to end up in your life. Now, I think He wants us to know what happens after this life, and He desires for us to understand heaven, and that if we're saved, that we can be there. But He is not concerned in the least about where you in, letting you know where you end up in life. For a couple of reasons. One is, if you knew, you'd try to bargain with him to find a different outcome. Or you'd try to tell him how you think you ought to get there. The second reason is, because if you understood the plans that God has for you, they would scare you to death. Because they are big and bold and grand. And so what God does is he just asks you to trust him completely, to submit to His will right where you are. And so that means trusting Him completely when things in your life do not make sense. Trusting Him completely when you need to make a major decision. Trusting Him completely when the future is completely uncertain. It means trusting Him wherever you are in the moment. Now, the end of this verse gets misunderstood sometimes. Because it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your understanding, and all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. Right? That's not a good translation of that word. Because most of us in our mind think, oh, that is exactly what I want. I want a straight road. I want a direct path. I want to know exactly where I go, and then I'm just going to walk down that road. It'll be free. It'll be easy. It'll be clear. That's not what it means. What it literally means is that He will make your path clear. Or you'll know which way to go. There's a verse in the New Testament that is misspoken and misstated oftentimes. And it's the verse that ends up people saying things like, God will never give me more than I can handle. That's not Scripture. Okay? It tells us that God will not leave us in a place without a way out from whatever we have. But that the way out is through Him. You see, there are many times in my life that God has given me more than I can handle. And it requires complete trust in Him to get me through. There are many times in my life when God will give me things to make me come and trust in Him in order to move forward. So it means in your life when things don't make sense and when you need to make a decision and when the future is uncertain that you just simply follow Him. Basically, what Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tells us is this. That in your life, if you want to go where God intends for you to go, then you need to trust Him with everything. 
And so let me ask you a question this morning. What part of your life have you not given over to the Lord? What part of your existence have you not trusted Him with completely? What part of your family life? What part of your school life? What part of your work life? What part of your relationships? What part of your friendships? What part of your church life? What part of life in general have you not given over to Him completely? And the question is this morning, are you ready to trust Him with all your heart and lean not on your understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him and allow Him to make that path clear?